0: Amen. Well, it's good to be with you today, and I'm looking forward to what God has for us. And uh, man, what, what an amazing testimony that to walk away, I don't know about you, but I want my life to be one that people walk away from. And what they say is, man, he's passionate about Jesus. I mean, is there, is there any better testimony that you can have for your life that there is no doubt that that person is radically in love with the Savior that saved their life? I think that should be an aspiration for all of us. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you today, and uh, I'm honored to have the opportunity to fill in for Pastor as he was traveling. And of course, we honor Pastor Alan, Miss Kathy, and their family. And last week, I honored him so much that I wore his face on my shirt. And uh, so, you know, that's true love for your pastor when you wear their face on your shirt. So uh, I decided not to wear it today because I couldn't handle that much anointing. I needed to just kind of taper myself. So, But I'm glad that you're with us today. We again want to welcome all of our first-time guests. And uh, just let you know that typically our pastor is who preaches, and uh, so come back next week. This is this is not a good sample of what actually happens here, so uh, we want you to come back next week and uh, be a part of what God is doing in our church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is where we're going today. I want to jump right in because I believe that there's a lot of stuff that God's been speaking to me this week that uh, I want to try to get out to you in a way that that can change your everyday walk. I was telling my wife as I was studying this week, just, just to know a little bit about me, I've been raised in, in very conservative Pentecost background, and, and I, love, I love Pentecostal worship. I love spirit-filled worship. But the problem is that in some circles, and, and I've been around some people, my family wasn't like this as much, but I went around some people that took on this very legalistic mindset toward their walk with Jesus. And as I've been studying about what we're talking about today, I've literally argued with myself all week and been like, what I walked away from it was this. It cannot be this simple. There's no way. There's no way that this is all there is to this. And so I want to give you that preface to what we're talking about today. First Thessalonians chapter number 4 and verse number 3. God's will is for you to be Holy. That's all we're reading today. God's will is for you to be holy. I know that's just one sentence, but there's a whole lot in that one sentence. Can we say a prayer together today, God? I pray that you would let your spirit rest right now, God, that you would help us to realize that you're calling us into the power of your holiness. And we give you worship for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God's will is for you to be holy. I know that's, that's, a, that's a heavy statement. And I was thinking about some of the, some of the ways to, uh, you guys know I like to tell stories about, you know, from growing up and, and how, kind of get you in the mindset of where I'm going. And as I was thinking this week, I was reminded about a class that I took my sophomore year of high school. And I went to a small school in rural western Kentucky, a Christian school. There wasn't big budgets. You couldn't have, you know, we didn't have all the nicest stuff. We had, you know, very, very limited spending margin. And so we didn't have enough money to have like a nice, you know, multiple oven kitchen area to do like home economics. And so we did this fake home economics class that we call practical living. And in practical living, what you would do is you would learn how to do budget, household budget. You would learn how to make a grocery list. And there were several different factors in there. But the two things that I specifically remember about practical living was, number one, we learned how to sew buttons on shirts. And number two, we learned how to decorate cakes. And obviously, I have used both of those skills numerous times after having getting out of high school. It's something I do all the time. I could make a killer rose with some fondant. I'm just saying, it was was phenomenal. But anyways, so we're in this class, and it's about decorating cakes, and I I think back on this, and I'm like, here's all of us 14, 15-year-old boys with our little cake decorating things. You know, like, it's just, it was awesome. But the first assignment in that particular portion of the class was to make homemade icing. And so they gave us, the teacher gave us an ingredient list and an instruction list for when to do this and said, this is due in three weeks. And so something you need to know about me at this age is that I was a disgusting human being because I was a 15-year-old boy. It makes sense. It just, but I was, so my mom would send lunches in brown paper sacks, you know, like that's how you send a lunch. And I would usually eat half my lunch, three quarters of my lunch. But in high school, all I wanted to do was play basketball. And so I would speed through my eating portion of lunch so that I could then go play basketball. And what I had to do was take my lunch back to my locker, throw it in there, shut it, which is fine. But when the bell would ring for school to be over, I wanted to evacuate the premises as quick as I possibly could because there was nowhere in the world I wanted to be less than at school. And so I wasn't about to take the time to go to my locker, get my lunch, and take it home. And so you can leave your lunch in the locker for a day, and it's fine. Even a week is fine. But when you get to like a month and two months and like a quarter, that's that's bad. Like we're talking there's some dairy products up in there and there's some leftover cheese that has developed some kind of growth. I don't know what's going on. I'm just telling you, I was a nasty human being. That's all you need to know. And so when my teacher gave me this assignment, you know what I did with it? I put it in my locker, which was a guarantee that I would never again see it in my life which was fine for three weeks, you know. It's no problem because I didn't know about it. It wasn't out of sight, out of mind. But the day before the assignment was due, the teacher said, I want to remind you guys that tomorrow the icing is due. And so I made mental note, go home, make the icing, tell mom. Actually, let's be honest, mom was going to make the icing and I was going to turn it in. But go home, make the icing. (laughs) And so, as you know, 15-year-old boys are excellent at remembering mental notes. They remember everything that you tell them. And so I went home and I forgot. And then the next morning, somehow, because we serve a faithful, sovereign God, he reminded me that I had to turn in icing that day. And so I told my mom at like 7 o'clock in the morning, I have some icing that's due in practical living. And so I didn't tell her it was supposed to be homemade. I just said I had icing that was due. So mom took me to Walmart, and I bought some Betty Crocker buttercream icing. And I went into the kitchen, and I grabbed a bowl and some saran wrap, and I put it in my backpack, and I went to school. When I got to school, I went in the bathroom, I opened the tub of Betty Crocker icing, dumped it in the bowl, put the saran wrap on, and voila, homemade icing. It was amazing. And I took it and I turned it in. Part of the class that day was the teacher tasting everyone's icing and checking the consistency. We're all tasting each other's icing, and it's weird in a scenario now that I'm talking about it, but we're just going around with these bowls of icing. And she tasted mine. And she said, Tyler, this is so good. And I said... I know, like, I just, sometimes you just got the gift, you know. It's, I don't argue with God and the gifts that he gives me, but here here it is. This is my icing. said, "The consistency is great. This is amazing. And I got an A on that icing. Now, you need to know that's under the blood. I've been forgiven. God has set me free. I am a new man in Christ Jesus. But it worked. It worked that day to turn in something that I did not make. But had she come in the next day and brought in all the ingredients and said, all right, make that icing again, I'd have been in trouble. I'd have have put some stuff together and handed it to her, and she'd have been like, this is not what you gave me yesterday. Because you can only go to an illegitimate source for so long until eventually it catches up with you. And you realize that it is not capable of fulfilling the need that you think that you have or that you have when you go to it. We're talking this series about counterfeit. And Last week, Pastor Allen preached a phenomenal message about counterfeit Christianity because we have an enemy that has tried to convince us that the gospel is is something that doesn't require change. And so there is a Christianity that is propagated now that says you can stay as you are and all you got to do is say a prayer and everything's going to be fine. Nothing has to change. But the problem with denying the power of change is that you deny the power of deliverance. And if you're not willing to be changed, you can never come out of what God's calling you out of. And so you're always going to be bound and struggle. It's in the power of change that we see the power of the gospel. And so a Christianity without change is a Christianity without power. And so it's a, it's a counterfeit version of faith that the enemy is propagating towards us. And he tries to get us to believe in. And one thing we need to know is that if he's going to take the time to counterfeit something, or to try to present us with something that is inauthentic in the place of what is authentic, it means that it's valuable. Because counterfeiters, yeah, I've never, maybe I'm wrong, but I haven't heard of many counterfeit rings that got busted and they're like, yeah, they made so many pennies. Like they were just producing pennies like crazy. No, they're printing hundred dollar bills. Because in order for them to go to the trouble of making a fake, it needs to be worth something in the first place. And so if the enemy is going to counterfeit something, we've got to know that it's something that's valuable. And the thing that I want to talk to you about today, I believe is one of the most valuable things in our entire faith journey. I think in some regard, it's why all of us enter into a walk with Jesus. Today, we're talking about freedom. See, nobody, I think all of us, when we come to Jesus, we do so because we want to be free from something. Maybe I want to be free from my shame. We answer an altar call because the pastor says, you don't have to deal with the shame and the guilt of your past. You can be set free. And so we're like, I'm in for that. Like, I want that. Maybe we want to be free from depression. We want to be free from whatever the case may be. There there is an element of freedom in all of us stepping into our faith journey with Christ. Because we want freedom. It's one of our greatest desires. And the verse that I read says that it's God's will for you to be holy. You know that that word actually means free because to be holy is to be free from sin. It is God's will for you and I to be free from sin. We shy away from that in the modern church because we live in a society that is so saturated by sin. I mean, it's everywhere. We look, we have access to so much sin at every, any given moment. We can access countless sins simply by taking out our phone and touching a screen, and boom, you can have all kinds of sin right at your doorstep. It's amazing how accessible sin is. And so when God says he wants us to be holy, which means to be free from sin, you and I are so intimidated by that because we're like, how could you ever be holy in 2019? Our world is so broken and messed up, and we're all so sinful in our nature. How could we ever be holy? But see, when when Paul wrote this letter to a group of believers in Thessalonica, they also lived in a messed up culture. They lived in a society that was full of pagan worship and full of idol worship. And actually, as he writes this, he says, It's God's will for you to be holy, so abstain from sexual immorality. He's not saying that simply because he's like, this is the only thing you need to worry about. He's saying that because their culture was defined by sexual activity. In religion, they had sexual activity. Out of religion, they had sexual activity. Homosexuality, bisexuality. All of this was prevalent in the Thessalonican culture. And so he said, it's God's will for you to be holy, so you need to abstain from sexual immorality. But what he was actually saying was, it's God's will for you to be holy, so look different than your culture. See, we think that just because we live in a sinful culture, that means we got to be sinful. Just because we live in a society that is full of the enemy's plans and his strategies, that somehow we got to succumb to it. But I've come to tell you today that as Christ followers, we're called to change our culture, not be changed by it. And so, it's God's will for us to be holy. I want what God wants, so I want to be holy. Amen? Would you agree with me? Like, that would, yes, I'm there for that. The problem is that there's still this thing that's a part of me called flesh. And flesh is still tempted by the same thing, the thing that is not conducive with the holiness that God has called me to. And so the Christian walk is living in this tension between a desire and a calling to be holy, but a flesh that is, pro- that is prone to being sinful. That is walking out your faith journey with Jesus. And see, the enemy, he presents a counterfeit freedom from sin to each and every one of us, because what that looks like is you and I, we, we get saved and and we come down to the altar, and we say the prayer, and man, worship is, is on fire, and the pastor's been preaching, and it's been good, and we accept, and we're like, yes, I want to pray, I want to receive Jesus. And did you know that in that moment, you are set free from sin? The moment that you believe on Jesus to be your Savior, the moment that you confess that you're giving your life to Him, you are free from sin. That's proven all throughout Scripture. That moment, that instant in belief, in faith, you are not bound by the things you used to be bound by. And a lot of us, we experience that transformation. We experience that power. And we leave this room, and our activity is different. We talk different. We look different. We act different. And the reason is because we got something new. We have a new life in Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. These shoes that I'm wearing are are fairly new. I got them a couple weeks ago. And they're white. And I'm brave because I bought white shoes. It takes a a special kind of bravery to have some white shoes. And I bought these at the Adidas outlet, and so I'm not even ashamed to tell you they're new today. Like, they, they were $16. Praise God for Adidas outlets, Nike outlets, every kind of outlet. Amen? All God's people said amen. But today, as I walked down from the house, because I was wearing new white shoes, every step was a careful step. I was looking out for puddles. I was looking out for sand. I got a dog, so I was looking out for other stuff. I was looking out for everything that might tarnish the purity of my new shoes. And a lot of us, when we get saved, we leave this room with the same kind of cognizant awareness of the purity that has been put into us. The Bible calls it imputed righteousness, that God has given us the righteousness of Christ. And so we walk in this careful, like I can't go there because I know that that's going to mess me up if I go there. I can't hang out with them because they're the the influence on me that right now I can't handle being around with them. I got to get out of this relationship because if I stay in this relationship, it's going to mess up the purity that God has given me. And so we walk with this understanding that we need to be careful. The Apostle Paul says it like this, that we need to walk circumspectly or we need to walk carefully understanding that we've been given this new life. But just like anything else, after a little while, the newness wears off. And so I was careful. I did take it into consideration. But now I've had it for a while. I mean, if it gets a little dirty, that's fine. And we become less careful. And inevitably what happens, because we live, like we said, a society that's saturated by sin, there is an environment around us that is so filthy and dirty, and we dwell in this filthy environment, and when you're not careful in, an, in a dirty environment, you're going to get dirty. When you aren't walking with an understanding that there are threats around you in an environment that is so filled with them, eventually it's going to rub off on you, and what's going to happen is you and I are prone to step into what we've been called out of, which is sin. And what's crazy is in this moment that we do the unthinkable. See, this is, this is the realization I came to this week. Y'all gonna think I'm crazy, but this is what I came to. Sin is like Taco Bell. <laughs> Taco Bell is not sin. That is not what I said. I rebuke that. <laughs> but sin is like Taco Bell. Because I know when I get that Crunchwrap Supreme or that cheesy gordita crunch, or that chalupa meal with the beef supreme, or the soft tacos with just meat and cheese, none of that lettuce, because I don't need nothing healthy on my Taco Bell taco. I know when I eat that, I know the effect is not going to be good. I know that I am not going to feel great when I partake of that. I know that it is going to have some terrible consequences. But yet I still, and I'm, You know what I'm saying. You can act holy if you want to, but you know what I'm saying. I know everything about what Taco Bell is going to do, but yet I find myself in the (laughs) drive-thru. And I I know that's a crazy illustration, but you know good and well when that temptation shows up, if I do that, I'm going to feel terrible. I'm going to get about five seconds of pleasure and then about two months' worth of shame. I am going to hate everything about this moment. But yet, we willingly step into sin. See, we, we create these, these little phrases, right? To try to make ourselves, well, I just, I fell into sin. Sorry, it's an accident. No, we walk into sin. We run into sin. We know good and well. The Bible says that when you get saved, you are no longer a slave to sin. You don't have to do it. I don't have to do it. But we do. We step into it. And our enemy, he stands by and he waits and he watches and and, and he prays on us. And the moment we fall to temptation, he shows up and he starts throwing his commentary onto the story. He said, man, guess you weren't saved, were you? Because, I mean, you're supposed to be free from sin and now look at you. you telling everybody that God changed your life and you're right back in the same boat that you ended up in. You're right back in the same place. You're bound. You're broken. And you know what's crazy is we take his word for it. And we say, well, you're, you're right. I am messed up. I am broken. I guess I wasn't really free. And when we accept that presentation that submission from the enemy, we are accepting a counterfeit form of freedom. Because according to what he is saying, we are free until we fail to practice freedom. Now, here's what I need you to know. I told you guys that I was raised in a very theologically conservative background. And so I need to tell you what I would want someone to tell me if they were preaching on what I'm preaching on. We are going to get to where we need to get to. We're going to get there. I'm not, uh, the the point of this message is not, hey, it doesn't matter what you do. Just go live your life. Grace is going to cover you. You're forgiven. Amen. Have a good week. That's not the point of this message. But what happens is, is the enemy allures us into a performance-based faith journey. And so I'm free because I walk in freedom. I'm free because I don't do this. I'm free because I don't go there. I'm free because I don't think this way. I'm free because I, 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 I'm free because of me, because of what I do, because of how I perform. And here's the problem with that, is that performance-based freedom is often feeling-based freedom. Because, you know you know what I'm saying? When you come to church and worship's been good, and the pastor preaches That message, and man, it's just like one of those things that that just mind-blowing stuff, just blowing up in your head. It's easy to walk out of that room after you come to the altar man. you just cried and like it's been beautiful and you got the mascara. I obviously don't have the mascara, but you have the mascara that's running down your face. And and, and you're you're just amazed by the presence of God. It's easy to walk out of those environments and say, I don't need sin in my life. I got the fire of God in me, bless the Lord. But, you come to church a couple weeks, and, and worship falls a little flat. This obviously doesn't happen here, but you know what I mean? Worship's a little flat. Pastor preaches, and I don't know where he was going with that. Like, I didn't get there. I don't know what he was trying to say. You, you, like you go into your personal daily, daily prayer life and daily Bible reading, and your one-year Bible has you in the book of Leviticus for a month. And in those moments, I don't feel it. I'm not feeling as hyped about serving Jesus as I was when the worship was good and the preaching was good and I was reading my Bible and it was good and God was meeting me in my prayer time. But now when I go to the Lord, it's quiet and when I read my Bible, I don't get nothing and worship isn't good and the preaching isn't good. And all of a sudden, because my, my faith and my freedom was performance-based, I don't feel as good and so I don't perform as well. Because here's the thing, if your freedom is performance-based and therefore feeling-based, then whenever you're not feeling it, when you're tired or frustrated or depressed, then failure becomes inevitable. Because it's how I feel that matters. It's what I feel that that gets me through the day. Performance-based freedom. And see, this type of freedom, what I've found in my life, is that it puts a whole lot more weight and value on failure than it does on success. Because here's what will happen, is you'll go, you'll go a year or two years or five years and be free from that sin, you know, the one that, that's your issue, as we would, well, they just they have some issues, like your issue. You go for a long time. God gives you freedom. He gives you victory. But then you have one of these seasons of not feeling it, and you're vulnerable, and the enemy sees that. And he launches an attack against you, and you step back into it. And what happens is, is you let that moment have way more power than the entire year or two years that you've walked in freedom. And you say, well, now this is who I am because this is what I did. I was, I'm, a, I'm a huge Kentucky basketball fan. And, amen, I don't know who you are, but God bless you. I pray a special blessing on you for rooting for that. But... A couple years ago, 2014-2015 season, we did something that a lot of people thought we almost did something that a lot of people thought would never be done, and it may still never be done, but we almost completed the complete perfect season, 40-0 with a national championship. That year, we won 38 straight games, 38-0. We beat four top five teams. We beat every rivalry that we had. We won the SEC regular season title and the SEC tournament title. We got to the final four. It was an amazing year. Awards, accolades, all the stuff. I mean, like, it was, it was an amazing season. But when we got to the Final Four, we, pl- we played against Wisconsin. And they beat us at, in the last few minutes. We had a lead. They came back. They beat us in the Final Four. And every time I talk to a fellow Kentucky fan about that season, you know what we talk about? We talk about the Wisconsin game. We don't talk about the fact that we beat Kansas. We don't talk about the fact that we beat Louisville, Florida, Tennessee. Amen, we beat Tennessee, praise God. We don't talk about none of that. Just like this year, a lot of Georgia folks are just going to talk about the South Carolina game. I'm sorry, it's too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. I forgot to do that in first service, so you're welcome. But we focus on the loss, on the failure. More than we do the victory. We do this in church all the time. We walk in freedom. We walk in victory. And then we step into sin. One, we, we have a vulnerable moment. We have a weak moment. And we let the enemy convince us that that's who we are now. That's where we gain our identity from because we didn't perform well. And this is my encouragement to you. Don't let a moment of weakness define a season of victory. Don't let one. That's all right. That's a good place to receive that word by clapping. Don't let one moment define you. Now understand that our moments have weight and they have value. We need, to, I, I'm talk, we need to walk carefully and circumspectly, but don't give so much weight to it that you let it cause you to step away from your faith in Christ. Don't let it define your season of victory. That's easy to say. It's hard to do. It's hard to get past this point of thinking that it's about me, that it's about my performance. And we're not the first ones to have this struggle. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians ever, when writing a letter to the church at Rome that would later become one of the greatest doctrinal pieces of literature that we would ever have in the church. Look at what he said as he's writing this letter in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. I don't really understand myself. Anybody else ever feel like the Apostle? I don't I don't get me. Like, I don't understand me, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I mean, I've been there a thousand times. Like I said, I want to be holy. I want to do what's right. I want to be free, but there's still this flesh in me. There's still, there's still that, that propensity towards what I know is unhealthy and unprofitable. The Apostle Paul said, I don't understand myself. I want freedom. I accept freedom. I even walk in freedom. But then when I screw up, that means my freedom is gone. Because that's what the enemy tries to tell us. And I need you to know. I need you to know that I wish so so much that I could somehow convey to you the frustration that this faith, that this message was born out of. I thought the fire alarm was going off. I was ready to, to just be like, let us all exit quickly and quietly in a single line. I was prepared, y'all. I was ready. Pastor Brian would be proud of me. So he's Mr. Liability, so. Anyways, and now back to our originally scheduled programming. We get to this place of wondering why can't I get free when I want to be free so badly. And this this is where this is born out of, this frustrating place in me because I'm like, God, I've served you. For over 20 years now, I was raised in a pastor's home, like not that any of this is any kind of like, like, you know, qualifying statements, but we say all these things. I've, I've been doing this for a long time. So why do I still have the struggle with the insecurity? And why do I still have the thoughts? And why do I still have the frustrating moments? And why don't we see people get free? Like people come and pray all the time, but why don't we see them get free? And why don't we see life change? And why don't we see what we see all throughout Scripture? Why isn't it happening now? And I really felt like that God just kind of told me, He's like, because my people have started accepting a counterfeit freedom. They've accepted and believed for a counterfeit version of freedom. And here's the question that shifts everything. It shifts everything in my thinking. This is this is where I got to this week, and this is where we're going to today. It's this: at what point in my faith journey did my freedom become me-dependent? Because I know I couldn't get myself saved. I mean. There's no way. I could never do enough good deeds to erase the wrongs that I've done. I couldn't feed in enough homeless shelters. I could not give enough money to World Vision. I couldn't do enough. I couldn't buy enough people's gas at the gas station. There's no amount of good deeds or righteous acts that would ever pay for my salvation. It had to be the blood of Jesus. It had to be the spotless Lamb of God that took my place on the cross. I couldn't earn my salvation, and neither could you. So if we can believe that so readily and so easily, then why in the world is it so easy for the enemy to convince us that even though we couldn't earn our salvation, we can somehow maintain it? That somehow, even though I couldn't do enough to be saved, I can do enough to stay saved. Somehow we take it off of the work of Christ, and at some point it's like, the gospel is good enough, the gospel is good enough, now i got to add something to it. The gospel... Is enough. Jesus finished the work. When he said it is finished, he did not insert a stipulation that said, except for what Tyler needs to do. He said it is finished. Death is defeated. Sin is conquered. Freedom is purchased. The cross was enough. We try to get free based on what we do how we do it and how we live. And this is what I felt like God led me to is this. There are people, there are counterfeiters that can make money that looks so legitimate, feels legitimate. The paper, I mean, it's, it's, it's quality. It smells legitimate. Everything about it seems right, but it's not worth anything. Because what gives money its value is not what it looks like, smells like, tastes like, feels like. What gives money its value is where it originates. The difference between the authentic and the counterfeit is its point of origination. And so there are a lot of people that are saying, I'm free because I don't do this. I'm free because I don't go there. I'm free because I don't listen to that. I'm free because I haven't done that in 20 years. But you are allowing your freedom to be printed and produced from your performance. And that is a counterfeit version of freedom. Because the only authentic freedom is that which was produced on the cross of Calvary. Where it was printed on that cross is the authentic way to walk in freedom. It's not about me. It's not about you. But God knew we would have a tendency to make it about us. And so when he was inspiring men to write the inerrant word of God, he told Paul when he was writing his letter to the Ephesians to say this that we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And then he said, You know what, Paul? Go ahead, put this in there too. Not of works. Throw that in because I know my people, and I know what they're going to do. They're going to think that they have to do. And understand, like I said, we're getting there. Hang on. Not of works, and this is why, because if it was of works, then I could look at all the things that I don't do, and I could look at my resume, and I could say, man, my freedom looks better than your freedom. Because look at all I'm free from, and and you just got a few things that you're free. No, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. But then look what he said. He said, for we are his workmanship. The New Living Translation says we are his masterpiece. You know what I love about this passage of Scripture? It's because the same guy that wrote it is the one that we just read, was writing to the Romans and said, I don't understand me. I don't get myself. Why do I do what I don't want to do? And I love if you continue reading in Romans chapter 7, it's like as he's writing that letter, he gets this aha moment because by the time he gets two paragraphs down, he said, wait a minute. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. He gets it and he understands it. So then four years later, he's writing a letter to the Ephesians. And he says, friend, you're saved by grace through faith. It's not your works. It's not what you do that earns and buys your salvation. Because you are God's masterpiece. You know why I love that? Because I just read to you in his letter to the the Thessalonians that he said, it's God's will for you to be holy. That word will means that it's God's idea. It's, It's the picture of an inventor getting a concept that he wants to work out. It's God's will for you to be holy. But then in Ephesians, he said, for we are God's masterpiece, or we are the finished product. It was God's idea for us to be holy. And so he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get to work, and I'm going to make it happen. And this is how he made it happen. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. How do I become holy? It's not about what I do. It's about what he did. It's not about what I can accomplish. It's about what He accomplished. It's not about what I can say no to. It's about the fact that He looked ahead and said for the joy set before Him. He he endured the cross despising the shame so that you and I could be made the righteousness of God. We are His masterpiece. And the thing that... The reason I argued with myself a lot as I studied this was because God gave me this revelation that just, it, it convicted me. Because there are people that walk in moral excellence that are not spiritually free. Because they think their freedom is based in what they do. And the enemy will gladly allow you to walk in a spirit of legalism if it means you don't tap into the spirit of freedom. He will gladly let you leave sin behind and stop doing stuff and stop going places if it means that you don't really get a transformed heart and spirit that changes not what you do but why you do. It's a counterfeit version of freedom. you and I, sometimes we, we feel like we're not free because we go to a wrong source. And today, this is the simple gospel truth that there is freedom available right now. It's not even a process you have to go through. Because the Apostle Paul, I, I talked about the fact that he changed... From Romans 7, I don't understand me. I don't know why I do what I do. I don't know why I keep messing up. To there's therefore now no condemnation. You know that he did not change his tone because he finally got his act together. He didn't change his tone because he had a good month and it kind of restored his confidence. His change of tone was not based on a change of activity. It was based on a change of trust. Because it ceased to be about Paul. And it started to be about Jesus. And this is what you need to know today. You're not going to get free from drug addiction by not doing drugs. You're not going to get free from pornography by not looking at pornography. That's counterfeit freedom. The only thing that will produce freedom in your life is for you to stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in Jesus. And that's why I said all week, I've said, God, can it really be that simple? That all I have to do is stop thinking it's me and knowing it's me and living like it's me. And the beautiful thing is, is like, well, does that mean we just get to stay as we are? No, that's what I love about it. Because as you trust him, and as you believe on him, and as you continually go to him as the source of your freedom, you progressively become like him. The Bible says that as we behold him, we are changed from glory to glory to glory to glory. And so I'm not free because I stopped, but I stopped because I'm free. I'm not free because I said no, but I said no because I found my identity in the finished work, in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so now there is no condemnation. I'm set free. And this is what I love. I'm almost done. I promise. I promise I'm almost done. Our changing in our activity, our appearance, all those things that we always talk about, it has very little to do with impressing God. In fact, it has nothing to do with impressing God. It has very little to do with gaining God's approval. Because that change isn't for Him. When we accept Jesus, the Bible says that He sees us as righteousness. He sees us as Jesus. And so, as I take as I as I stop doing things and I eliminate things from my life, God doesn't see me any differently. Because he's always seen me as the righteousness of Christ. But you know who does? Everybody else. Because as I progressively become like Jesus, I become a proper living representation of the power of the gospel to everyone around me. So holiness is not about impressing God. It's about being his representation to the world. It's about them seeing there's something different about them. There's a different kind of love that they have for people. There's a different kind of trust that they have for people. And it's about bringing them to the source of my freedom. Because it's not me. It's not me. It's him. Some of you have been trying for years. This is what I, God, God told me some of you have been trying for years. And the reason He told me that is because I'm one of them. They've been trying to get free from stuff for years. And it's been up and down, and up and down, and up and down. But today all that changes. Because you're not trusting in what you're going to do tomorrow. You're not trusting and you're going to do better this week. You're you're trusting in what he did 2,000 years ago. And it is finished. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new.